Good afternoon, everybody. This is a special bonus edition of the Friday Night Lights Fantasy Podcast. I'm nice right now. I, I feel good. If you have a drink, would you please put it in the air? Hey everybody, how's it going? This is your guy, this is your commish, Thomas Tipple here with a special bonus trades episode because you guys went nuts. Pretty excited to have a guest today. This is going to be a recurring thing. I'm hoping to get everybody from the league, but today we have, well, I'm just going to call him Cobb because again, not sharing first and last names. People are creepy. (laughs) So Cobb, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Tom. How are you? Much better now that I finally figured out how to get this thing going. Yeah, it took us, um, we're on minute 59 of recording. So just under an hour, we figure out how to actually get this working. Um, Austin, I'm sure you'd be proud of us. We, we did our best. I mean, Stoon. People are creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that one's out the door. I'm going to give out his phone number now. Yep. So, so like I mentioned, we are going to do a trade episode. But because I have a guest today, we're going to do... Something a little special. We're going to break down his draft theory and his favorite and worst picks. We're going to get to that. First, I just wanted to slide in some thoughts and ideas on the two new jerseys that were put out. So we had the Chargers, who I think hit a home run. They they went back to the powder blue, the numbers on the helmets. All fantastic. Looks really good, uh, aside from the yellow pants. I think I talked about jerseys at great length. Yeah, um, but I, I I love those ones. Those so far to me are my favorite. And then the Patriots actually, I I don't know why they did this. This is a really weird move for them. They uh they made their color rush uniforms their regular home uniforms. And then mm-hmm. I also heard that the classic alternate white helmet, white face mask, uh, red uniforms are going to be in play next season because the NFL is lifting their one helmet per season rule. Nice. Why why this rule exists is beyond me. (laughs) Uh, But each team, if you don't know right now, is allowed to have one helmet. It's why the Rams' helmets are white and blue, and they, they don't swap it when they use the yellow and blue. Like, the... I think the only rule or the only thing they're allowed to do is the color rush because color rush helmets are different, but I think those are a pre-approved uniform change. I think moving forward, the NFL is going to allow teams to choose what helmet to what uniform. So I think it's going to open up kind of like college uh, unless, you know, they put a limit. So, Teams can't go full Maryland, but I think that you're going to see a lot more retro uniforms, which why they're better. So those are my quick takes. I'm going to send it over to Jacob while I prepare the next thing so he can give you a little insight on the Chargers and Patriots jerseys. Jacob? Well, the Chargers were our, I mean, their tweet was the best got better, which was a flex, but it's true. Because they already had the best uniforms in the league. The powder blues are fantastic. Um, I agree with Tom. I think the yellow pants are kind of gross. But 
the the new all powder blue, the new all white, and then that navy blue one. Whew, those are real nice. Um, the Chargers crushed it. The Patriots, I think it's better. Um, I don't love the striping on the white. I think it's a little noisy, but I think that they're good. Um, I wish that they would stop outlining the numbers so much. That's like an aggravating thing for me. I hate outlined numbers. Like I feel like all the best teams, they're just there. Um, and it looks a lot more classic and less busy, but like Patriots and the bills are two teams that I think suffer from that, but I think they look really good. I'm really glad they're lifting the helmet rule. I didn't know that existed, but I know now, and I'm very happy that's changing. I, I hope we might get to see the old retro Colts blue helmet at some point. Uh, they did it like for one game against the Eagles. They lost that game. Um, that was, I think, in the 2011 season, I think. And it was a really kick-ass uniform. And I'm probably the only person who remembers that. But I play exclusively as that uniform on Madden. So maybe that'll come back one day. Uh, that would be nice. Shout out to the old Baltimore Colts. So I actually love that jersey. I love the the deep blue on that helmet and the two the two horseshoes on the back. Yeah. Uh I think that that's an underrated an underrated um visual effect on the helmet. I personally like that. I know exactly what jersey you're talking about and I believe I remember that game it was not Yeah, good. I think we we lost I think 26-24 if I had to guess. Uh it wasn't great. Manning threw like three or four picks. Yeah, that's that's the old Eagles for you. Just a reminder, the Eagles secondary used to be good at one point. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it did. So that's... um... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you know how boring it is, like being a Colts fan when every other team changes their jerseys? It's like, oh, the Colts, they have new jerseys. Oh, they're the same. (laughs) Like, I mean, I get it because their jerseys are awesome and there's a reason they've never changed because they don't do stupid decisions like all these other teams do. But like, It'd be fun to have, like, one alternate. They have, they have black in the color scheme now, technically. So I'm wondering if we're maybe going to get a black jersey. I think it would probably be really ugly, but I support it. I just I want to see something else. It'd be fun. Like, our color rush uniform is just our regular jersey with blue pants. So it'd be nice to have some fun. I really hate the trend of every team needing a black uniform. <laughs> it's driving me <laughs> mental. Like, I want to say the Ravens did it First, I can't be a hundred percent sure on that. But I think it was Ravens or Eagles. Yeah, they're all night. They're all black uniforms. I think started a trend because I think I think they went undefeated like eight games in a row when they wore them, and that was like a mm-hmm. ooh they got they got the all blacks on. <laughs> uh, I kind of hate that every team is doing it. Like it's not special now. Like the Jaguars' actual home uniform is all black, and that's gross. They used to have. They're probably the only team in sports to use a teal uniform, and it looks amazing. Like, the Marlins were Sharks, gross. San Jose Sharks? Yeah, I don't know if that's, like, a teal. It's kind of like a lighter, maybe a little, I don't know, I'm color stupid. So it might be, like, a lighter version of the teal with the gray, which I'm not a fan of. But, like, that, the the nice darker teal of the Jaguars used to be amazing. Like, the... the the Fred Taylor Jaguars uniforms. Oh were, yeah, those, those were good. lit. Those were lit. Those now they're really all black, nice. and they suck. So that was uh, that was a little bit on the uh, two new jerseys. And as that kind of stuff keeps popping out, we are going to continue to talk about them because it's the off season, and I need something to do. Yep, that's why they're doing it, baby. They're doing it for us. 
100%. So the next thing we're going to get into is we're going to get into a what I like to call a fantasy football profile. So, Cobb, the experience you have in fantasy is, from the time I've known you, is pretty extensive. Uh, we started off with um, a redraft league that I did not do so well in. But, I mean, that's the first time you got to see kind of my, my you trading. You were the finals, I thought, didn't you? I think you were the finals. Oh, shit. I think I did. You got into I didn't, the 60s. I didn't win that, that, was, that was the year that Austin's team rocked, but he just couldn't oh. beat you. Hooked on a Thielen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. That's that's when the Austin can't beat me and fantasy thing started. Right, because he had like this absolute monster team. And I, I right. think he went like four, like he went like 13 and three and like all of his losses were to you. Right. I do remember that. And just for the record, everybody, that's continued. <laughs> so, and you had you had a, you had like an average team and it looked like you were dead because you lost to Des Nuts, which was like the worst team in the league. I, yeah, in, right. in week 15. And then you needed like eight things to happen in week 16 or week week uh, 13 to make the playoffs. And you somehow got in and then you went on a run. Yeah, I think I lit it up. I think that's kind of yeah. you can kind of say that about uh, the Frozen Tundra, which I'm going to refer to it as the league of record. But yeah. the Frozen Tundra League, did the same thing. I kind of looked dead in the water and I went on a run and. You were, you kind of did. I, thanks, Tony Michelle, for that. <laughs> you did like exactly what Sid did in the Frozen Tundra. That's she, right. Like, squeaked in. She needed a lot of things to happen. She needed a lot of help. And then all of a sudden, like, then playoff magic. Super true. So, uh, just getting a little bit of your fantasy profile, how long have you played? Just um, I think this is like year five or six, um, like on my own teams. But I've been, uh, my, like, my dad's in a league. And I have been brought in as a youth advisor for my dad's league since I was like 10. So I, I got in at an early age um, and, and I've been hooked ever since. Like I'm a huge football fan, I'm a huge sports fan generally, but um, football especially. And like each year, it just seems like I keep getting more and more leagues. So I've been managing my own teams for a while. I got in one through work and then it's just been on, onwards since. Um, and, and then now I'm commissioning a couple of leagues and, and with you and with Austin and the Foot Clan. So it's been it's been an exciting off season. It's been much needed during quarantine. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. So just just a quick question. How many leagues are you officially in? Uh, I think I'm in seven. I think I'm in seven. Um, I'm in this one, and then I'm in the League of Record. I'm in, um, uh, yeah, I'm in the one that I commission, and then I'm in two others that are for money, and then the two that are not. And then I'll probably run my redraft league again. Um, so I'll probably end up in eight or nine, I would assume. That's a good number. I think that's a reasonable person's number. Um, not a psycho like other <laughs> other other people. So when you go into a a dynasty startup, what's your like? Do you have a K? Okay, I'm gonna take X per, X player at this spot, no matter what. Or does it kind of come down to who's on the board? Yeah, it's never that. I I never want to be completely tied to a guy because I think that's when you make bad trades. I know I've made my worst trades for sure in season when I'm like, I need this guy and I'll just pay for this guy. And then, then, then value kind of goes out the window. Um, like I certainly obviously have my guys, like I drafted my rankings and, and obviously that leads to, to me getting certain guys quite a bit more than others. But um, I think my main philosophy is probably um, is, is a depth heavy philosophy. Like I, I, I get aneurysms um, if I'm like 
trading all my people away for like one superstar and then that superstar tears their ACL, that's like my biggest fear. So like I, I tend to build depth heavy. Um, I think that allows me to not feel like I have to start guys in horrible matchups because I have a lot of people on the bench that are capable. I think it allows you to be more injury resistant and buy resistant. And like with that strategy, honestly, like probably mixed results. Like on the plus side, I can say I have never missed the playoffs in any fantasy league I've ever done. Um, and I've probably done about 20 or 30 leagues. That being said, I've only won a couple. Um, so it might be a better strategy to get to the playoffs than it is to actually win in the playoffs. Cause I don't always have that high end talent. Um, but I, I think that, especially in the dynasty, I think if I can set myself up where I'm always in the mix and then look at, you know, moving some of those assets, especially younger assets picks to get some of those stars come deadline time. If there's some teams that have some stars, especially some more older stars, and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to make a run, that's kind of where I'm looking. But coming out of the draft, I'm probably looking depth heavy for sure. Okay, that's, so I'm, that's I'm always the guy trying to trade insight. down in the draft. That's for sure. So, and I'm always the sucker that takes it. So the, uh, the next question I had was when you're going into a dynasty draft, what is a, I don't know, maybe there's a better way to put this, but what is a star for fantasy to you? Is it the, I know we've had discussions about this at, at great length, but is it like the, so there's stars in the NFL that maybe aren't stars in fantasy if that makes sense so when you're looking at your board do you ever get caught going like that guy is a he's a star so i'm gonna take him or do you always separate the two do you always take away like he's a star but is his fantasy value a star or is he the name like do you ever find yourself getting caught in that weird vortex of stardom to to name value or is it basically when you look at a guy you just look at age position and and production yeah i'm i'm probably more the latter um like if anything i probably get in trouble going you know probably too far away from the eye test and it's something i'm probably trying to change in my process a little bit this year um especially because like last year was the first year i really started getting into dynasty so from a redraft mindset i really don't give a crap about what the person's talent is i'm looking at their situation their usage rate their offensive opportunity, um, you know, so how many carries are they going to get? How many targets are they going to get? Is the offense good enough that some of those are actually going to be touchdowns or are they on the Jets? Um, and, and I'd say, like, that's been pretty successful redraft-wise. Dynasty-wise, obviously, that's has to be a little bit different, right? Because, you know, take a guy like Damian Williams, for example. It's like a, it's probably, it's probably a good example. We'll see what happens at the draft. I mean, that's a guy where the consensus seems to be – I'm probably a little higher on his talent than most, but, like, I'm not saying he's Derrick Henry – like the consensus seems to be that he's like kind of a not great running back in real life. Obviously if the say the chiefs don't draft a running back, I mean, we've seen from the last two playoffs and from the last two like fantasy playoffs, that the guy's an absolute monster in fantasy. If the chiefs don't draft a running back, that being said, like probably anyone could be. Um, so from a redraft standpoint, I'm going to be crazy eye on Damien. If they don't draft a running back, like he'll, he'll be a top 10 running back for me. A hundred percent. Dynasty, obviously it's tougher because you have a guy, it's like, well, you know, how much does the team actually believe in this guy's talent? How long-term is he going to hold up? Um, and so that, that makes things a little bit tougher where you hope in a dynasty format, the talent will eventually shine through um, and that that guy's going to force his way into a situation. I mean, probably, um, you know, you see two examples of this last year from the wide receiver core 
Um, one guy like J.J. Arcasega-Whiteside, for instance, you couldn't have possibly asked for a better situation for a rookie to walk into. You yeah. have a good quarterback, a good offense, um, and you have zero wide receivers. Like, they literally played an entire game against on Monday Night Football in the second half. They didn't have one player dressed, active, and healthy that played wide receiver in college. They were running sets with Boston Scott, Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, Josh Perkins, Zach Ertz, and Greg Ward, who is a college quarterback. Paul (laughs) Perkins. (laughs) So, so if if J.J. Arcega-Whiteside couldn't break through in that, it's like, is this guy good? Like, he might just suck. Whereas, you look at a guy like Darius Slayton, who was a fifth-round pick. He had plenty of people ahead of him. Shepard, Golden Tate, Evan Ingram, you know, even Caden Smith. And I know we disagree on him a little bit, but the fact that that's a guy who went fifth round, didn't have the draft capital, had guys in front of him, and yet he still came in and demanded a decent amount of targets, a decent amount of production, that's really impressive because the Giants didn't need to put him on the field. He must have showed something in practice to well, go from a guy who was playing behind Cody Latimer to a guy who was out there getting seven, eight targets a game in the, in the back half of the season. I think that when your team goes south the way that the Giants did so quickly, Saquon getting hurt, Tate being suspended, Shepard got murdered, uh, Evan Ingram stubbed his toe. So he like he kind of did have to be on the field at one point, but I think that what you're right in is that when players like Slayton or Whiteside get on the field and they have, I'm going to say, equal opportunity, one being on a better team with a supposed better quarterback, I personally don't believe that. I think Jones is better than Wentz, but that... That I'm is the anti- most ridiculous take I've I'm, ever heard. <laughs> I'm I'm anti-Wentz, so I'll die on that hill. But when one player produces in the same situation, which I'm going to pretty much call them the same situation, then yeah, you're right. Like the, the dynasty value can be... You can get kind of caught up in the draft capital and the, and the position... It's a good way to look at it. It's a good way to separate the the eye test from the name test. So a little insight on that. Appreciate it. So when you're if that's your draft strategy, what would then be your favorite pick from the Friday Night Lights fantasy league? What was your favorite pick using that that mentality? Um I'm just adjusting quick because my phone was gonna die, so I had to take my headphones off so I can plug it in. But I can you still hear me? I can. If I hold it up like this. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Turn, okay, I'll turn video off probably because it'll be easier. Okay, there I go. I can talk like this. Um, so I would say like maybe I'm cheating a little bit. My favorite pick in the Friday Night Lights Dynasty draft was was not picking at 1.7 or 1.6, whatever my pick was. I think it was 1.7 because um, you traded up to get that spot. Um, I did. And, and I, you took Dalvin Cook, which, which is who I would have taken in that spot. Um, but what I, what I look at is I ended up getting, I think, a second, a sixth, and a tenth. So that ended up being um, Tyree Kill, Michael Gallup, and Will Fuller. And then, of course, I did the Cook trade, and then I did the Cook trade back. And I actually charted it all out. And if I combined the, everything, I ended up with, instead, with basically for the 1.7, which would have been Cook, I ended up with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Will Fuller, a 2021 second and a 2022 first. And so you're foregoing a bit of that star power, obviously. I think Dalvin Cook, he's my running back four. Um, he would be my uh, number six player overall in fantasy. So I definitely w- would have taken him at 1.72. Um, but to me, that's that starting point now where 
you get the two extra picks, Cooper, Gallup, Fuller. I think it gives me a lot of freedom to go in a lot of different directions. Um, it does, yeah. And so that's that's probably what I would say is my best pick um, was was not taking that pick and then and getting a decent trade haul out of it. Um, and then my my worst pick, funny because we just talked about him. Uh, my worst pick was definitely Carson Wentz. I think in the fourth, um, just because of what it sort of forced me into. I don't usually ever take quarterback early. Um, it just so happened that most of the guys I like to target in the fourth, they all really went early fourth. Um, I thought everybody made the right picks in the early fourth. And so no one really fell through to me. That was obvious. Um, but taking Wentz there, then it's, then, I, then I sort of ended up going wide receiver in the fifth and the sixth, which I, I like those picks enough. I stand by them, but it forced me into a spot where all of a sudden the running back run hit. And I only had um, at that point, it would have been Kenyon Drake on my team. And so I ended up having to trade all those 2021 picks to move up and get Daryl Henderson. Um, and then I recouped some of that later, but I think it just, it forced me into a spot where I was, I was trading less out of, um, value and more out of need. Um, and I think had I not gone Wentz, I, I wish I would have gone probably Marlon Mack in that slot. Um, and then if I think if I go Marlon Mack in that slot, then I'm, I'm set up at running back I'm set up at wide receiver. And then I could have just taken quarterback later. Cause I had all those extra picks cause I had already traded down, I think two or three times. So I think that's, that's what right. I probably would have done. Um, in hindsight, has not gone Wentz there, but I, I think it's okay. I think I recovered enough that I, I have the picks in uh, in 2021 back again now. So, okay. So what I take from that, it, it wasn't your worst pick. Like your, it's not your least favorite pick because of the player you received. It was because you went against strategy, right? Yeah, like I like Wentz. It was it was more just, um, yeah. Like I think it, it set it set myself up in a in a bad position later in the draft. Um, I should have gotten my second running back there. And I'm happy with Wentz, but I think I, I think my team overall would look nicer um, if I had gone Mac there. But I think Wentz is going to be good. I, I'm not I'm not down on him. Um, I think he what he did last year I thought was so impressive. I mean, you're talking about a wide receiver core of, of nothing. Um, he's throwing to he's throwing to quarterbacks and tight ends and Boston Scott, um, and he's still putting up 20 point weeks down at the end of the season. I'm I'm a big believer in Carson Wentz, and especially if they add someone good in the draft, um, I think he could have a bounce back year. Okay, I can definitely see that, and I'm probably going to have to at some point reevaluate my my Wentz dislike. Um, at some point, I'm probably going to get forced to do that. I don't think I have a single Carson Wentz share in 13 leagues. So wow, yeah. What's funny about that is I think He's I have seven seven Darnold. I have seven Darnold and five Goffs. So take that for wow. what you will. Yeah. When, I'm I'm big actually... I'm big in Darnold I'm I'm big I'd like he's oh. so good and people just shrug what he did against Dallas really? last season I think is his regular I think that's what he can be every week I mean I like I, I will I feel better about Darnold in, in Dynasty than I do in redraft I don't have a lot of Darnold because I'm in a lot of leagues with you and you always have a lot of Darnold so <laughs> so I, I don't end up with a lot of them I like him I I, I just hate Gase so much. Um, I think he's gone. I think Darnold is going to deliberately play like shit for four weeks. They're going to fire him, and they're going to go and get a real coach. I also hate his weapons. Like, he doesn't have any. He has Crowder, who's a nice little slot receiver. He has Perriman, who's good at running nine routes. But, like, they need someone who can do more. I I will feel a lot better about Darnold if they draft Jerry Judy in the first round. That's what I'm thinking. And I, you, uh, people who know me, people who know me and have heard me talk, I'm so tired of hearing about rookies. 
but I'm not ignorant to the fact of how good they are. So I think that if the Jets walk away with a round one wide receiver, a round two offensive lineman, and a round three running back, I'm going to love Darnold, and I'll be happy to let people overpay for him when he's a top 12 guy. I think it could happen because right now they have like Perriman and Crowder are complementary receivers because they just don't 100%. do enough things. Like, like they kind of both do one thing well, and it's a different thing from each other. So that's better than like the Texans. But um, I think they, they need someone who's more versatile, who can actually play in the X slot. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that like Judy or Lamb is going to be able to come in and be your number one receiver on day one. But, you know, if, especially if we're taking a post Gase view where we're, we're trying to project where's this offense in 2021 when Gase is gone um, and, you know, Lamb or Judy's had a year to progress. You know, then then you could be looking at something really fun. So I like Darnold the talent. I'm I still I don't think he's a bust or anything like that. I think I watched that Dallas sure. game too. I had him in that league and and he was fantastic. Yeah, I th- I think that's his regular. So, uh, that's probably gonna do it for the fantasy profile. Where do you have? We are going. Where have you ranked? I'm sorry. Place? Where have you? I haven't. I so my he's top twelve. It just it makes me wow. sick to say that. So I'm yeah. QB six. That's my hot take. I have him ahead of Josh Allen and Russell Wilson, which I don't think is very common. No, but you want a hot take? I hate Russell Wilson. I think okay. To me, Russell Wilson is the Toyota Corolla of supercars. <laughs> he is. He's not going to break down. He's always going to get you there. But he when it when when you put him against like top tier. Ferraris and and Lambos. What are you getting in? You're not picking the Corolla. See, I so he's he's just and I don't know if it's that I hate Pete Carroll or I it's his Pete. like if if it's his like I don't even know how to explain Russell Wilson's demeanor. I don't like him as a person. <laughs> and so I find myself not liking him on the field. And when I'm watching him on the field, I'm looking at him. And I'm going, I don't, I don't see, I don't see elite. I, I, he can move around. He makes really good throws. But when, like, you know, when you watch him, I'm never going like, wow, like, wow. So, I think he's benefited from having a great defense his whole career, a really strong commitment to the running game his whole career. And then being smart and mobile, like I don't, I don't think he has an elite talent at the position. And I know that I'm either going to get roasted about it, I'm going to get DMs, death threats. Don't care. <laughs> that's my, that's my take. And you know, I get, oh, he's put up thirty touchdowns for you. He's like the only. Don't care. Especially for fantasy, we finished like second or third. Don't care. He disappeared. So what? Okay, so championship weekend, you have Russell Wilson. Are you are you happy with how that Arizona Cardinal game went? No, you're not. That to me makes me sick. I agree, and I don't like for fantasy. I agree. I have zero Russell Wilson for fantasy. I don't think I've ever had Russell Wilson for fantasy um, because they are like if you look through his stats last year, I think he finished QB three or QB four, whatever he finished. But like it was based off of he had like three or four humongous games. Like the Saints game, for instance, he went absolutely nuclear. Um, and I think he had a couple others like that. The Tampa game, he went completely nuclear. And then other games, it's like 12 points. And the problem is, 
is that, like, I get that everyone's going to have bad games. But the thing is, like, when, the, when Seattle, when everything goes to plan for Seattle, like, when they execute what they actually want to do, Russell Wilson has 12 fantasy points because they want to run it, like, 40 times. Um, exactly. And they want to play fucking slow. <laughs> so, to me, it's like, I don't want a quarterback. That was my fear. Like, I had Kirk Cousins last year, too. Now, luckily, you're not drafting Kirk Cousins as the QB5, so I don't mind it. But, like, I had Kirk Cousins last year, and it was so aggravating. Because I turn on the game, and I'm like, man, if Kirk Cousins' team is successful today, that is bad for Kirk Cousins' fantasy production. And okay, I, so that if, I, if, I can catch, if I can catch you off quick. So if you, if, you, if you take out the two names, Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson, and you take out where they're drafted, if someone told you, like, okay, so the quarterback went 19 of 25, he had 230 yards and two touchdowns, would you be surprised if it was either? No, because they're, they're, they're in very similar offenses. And frankly, I think, like, I mean, Russell, I think, is a better quarterback because he's a lot more mobile. Um, I, and I think he's way better at, at playing off script. And then Cousins struggles when things break down in his structure. But from a fantasy perspective, I mean, you're talking about two offenses that are so weird for fantasy because they are good offenses. Like, it's not like the Jets where I'm like, man, like, this offense sucks for fantasy. And I hate Adam Gates because he just sucks. And, like, it also is a bad offense. Like, the Vikings and Seahawks are pretty successful teams. So, like, it's really hard for me to be like, oh, I hate them. They run the ball too much. Like, it works for them, but it kills your fantasy team. <laughs> so, 100%. So, for Russ, like, I get the run heavy. I do think, like, if you put him in a situation with a coordinator that wasn't Schottenheimer and head coach that wasn't Pete Carroll, I think he could be a top three fantasy quarterback, like, actually. Like, I think he could be a real superstar. I think he's fantastic in real life. But... Pete Carroll is perfectly happy to have him throw 23 times a game. And that is terrifying to me when he's my fantasy quarterback. I want quarterbacks like, like Wentz is going to throw. Like, I, I like that. Like, like they're not a, like the Eagles are not going to run down your throat 40 times a game. They got a little run heavy last year because they didn't have a wide receiver on the roster. Right. But if their team operates as they want it to, they're going to run at a fast pace. They're going to spread things out. Like they'll run the ball, but like Wentz is throwing, he's throwing 35, 40 times. Like that's happening. And their secondary is trash, so I like that. That provides a safe floor, right? And I think I think you're right. I think he's the perfect example of when I talked about the superstar to the name, like the talent to the name, and that's what he is to me. And I get it. I get people are like, you know, his worst game is going to be somebody's, you know, ceiling. Like that's really what, like fourteen to twelve points is probably his floor on an on an average day and his boom is huge i just i'm not gonna spend the top three top four pick in a startup draft on him and i'm not trading first round picks like it i i just that's just how i feel about him but i i could go on about the the kind of went off there about wentz and 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 russell because hard to stay on track sometimes but like I said, that's going to do it for the fantasy profile, and we are going to move on to what we're all here for, which is the uh, what I like to call the glorious, glorious, glorious trade segment.
so from the last time uh, we had a show come out, I figured maybe there'll be a couple trades because you know what? We talked about it, got people going. It turns out that almost immediately after the pod was released, you guys went bananas. <laughs> uh, one thing we're not going to do is we're not going to beat a dead horse. I think uh, especially uh, Cobb and I's opinions on some of these trades have been well known and it definitely rustled a few feathers. But what we're not going to do is, and, and I'm going to make this pretty clear, we're not here to trash people's opinions. That is not what we're here for. It's not what we're about. Obviously, we're all very opinionated. I picked a group of competitive people, and I just want everyone to know that these aren't opinions of malcontent. Uh, with that being said, our first trade was uh jacob take it away yeah so we're going in chronological order um and it was i might i'm gonna fuck up the details but um it was juju smith schuster being shipped out um to tomley and then going back to um lions is uh uh marvin jones i'll say julio jones that's later marvin jones and two picks and i think it was an early second and early third i forgot the exact slot but um it was like 2.02 or 2.03 something like that right yes um yeah this trade i mean i'm like the resident juju hater um so i probably have like different feelings than most but you take it away on this one if you want so my opinion on this one is i think that just if you take the average draft position which i am against generally of the two players I think that um, Andrew could have gotten uh, being Lions. I explained this on the last show. I'm going to confuse that all the time. So Andrew's Andrew. And I think that he could have gotten Marvin Jones in the draft. I think he could have got him like in the 12th round, like if he felt that strongly yeah, about they, him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I understand when you're looking at him and you want maybe some pick capital that you're trying to recoup. And if you really believe... Like, to me, that's how I would value Juju. So, to me, I agree with the trade. Like, I value Juju that low. You value Juju that low. We, oh, we, may, know that we may know we, we know that we could probably flip him to someone who loves him. But I get the process here. I don't love it. I don't love it for either side. But I understand it. And once I talked to Andrew about his deals, I understood it. So, for this deal... I get it. Uh, it. It helped both teams for the way they wanted to go. And like I said, we're not going to be a dead horse. So trade number two was? Well, first, I, I want to get my Juju hate quick. Because uh, <laughs> all, all people know is that I hate Juju. And I went into it on the, on the other, on the League of Record podcast. Reasons I don't like Juju. First of all, everyone was on his ass last year. Everyone was, I don't know if it's a PG podcast, but they were up on his dick last year. Um, I was not. Um, I had zero juju last year on all of my best ball teams, all of my and dynasty redraft, whatever. I had zero juju. I think that he is an excellent slot wide receiver. And I think that offenses that try to work through a slot wide receiver predominantly don't work great. I think we saw what happened with the pass last year when it was all on Edelman and they didn't have that deep outside option. And it, the offense became pretty bad. And, with Juju, just if you look at the production from your 
from that big, big year with Antonio Brown. You have Antonio Brown who's sucking up coverage because he was the best wide receiver in the league. A horrible person, but he was the best wide receiver in the league. And you have a team that threw the ball 676 times. That's insane. No team is throwing the ball 676 times this year. I can't possibly imagine. Um, and so, so many of those were just Juju kind of being instinctive, working his way into zone coverages from the slot, and just finding spots. We weren't seeing a lot of 50-50 balls. We weren't seeing him attack the ball a whole lot. So to me, watching that season, I didn't come away as super, super impressed. To me, it was kind of like a Jarvis Landry Dalton season on steroids. Um, and we've seen what's happened with Landry's career. When, when he has Parker healthy um, in Miami, he's really, really good. When he's the only guy, he's pretty inefficient. You see him go to Browns year one. He's brought in to be the wide receiver one. He was fine for fantasy because he had a lot of volume, but he sucked in real life. He was one of the most inefficient wide receivers in the league. Last year, bring in Odell. He was great. He was wide receiver 13 last year. So I, that's kind of who I would compare Juju to. I think, you know, this year from a volume basis, I get it. But I also think we're being way too easy on him when we talk about the quarterback play. The quarterback play sucked. I'm not saying the quarterback play didn't suck. But it sucked for James Washington and DeAndre or Deontay Johnson, too. And frankly, they were as productive or more productive. So why, you know, if, if you are this top 12 wide receiver, why are you getting beat out by a third round rookie and another guy in James Washington who a lot of people were willing to write off as a bust? So, you know, I, I think it'll be better than last year, obviously, because they're not going to have a complete trash heap of quarterback. But I have him wide receiver 26, and that's that's a hot take. But that's where I have him. Even in Dynasty, I have him wide receiver 26 because I just think he's he's going to be a volume-based guy. I don't think he's gonna you're going to see a lot of big games from Juju. But that, that's my hot take there. So do you think that uh, – because receivers who are 20 years old coming into the NFL don't usually – 20, 21, like those, those guys don't usually come in and produce anyway. Do you think that maybe we saw his best season when he was 22? And I think that – like do you think that that's part of kind of where the problem is? I think we did. I think he's a really, I think he was a really polished prospect. So I think that he probably had less of a learning curve than a lot of folks have coming into the NFL. Um, so what he did that season was phenomenal. I mean, I still think he's like a great asset on your team. I'm not saying he's like a bad player. I just don't, I just don't see him as like a top 10 wide receiver or superstar guy. So yeah, I, I do think we've seen his best season. Obviously I could be wrong, but that makes sense. I look, at, I look at the areas he has to grow. Like, I don't know. I think I don't, I, I haven't seen him be able to beat man coverage consistently. And if he's going to be an X wide receiver in the NFL, he's going to need to beat man coverage consistently. Could he not to mention the AFC North in general? Yeah. Who's he going against? He's going against what? Um, Peters and Humphreys. He's going against Denzel Ward. Right. Like that's, that's those, that's four games against probably what? Like two, two really top, uh, two really top corners. So I, I just don't see it with him, but it could happen. He is super young. So he could obviously improve, but, if he doesn't, I don't, I don't see it yet. So do you see a world where Marvin Jones outscores Juju this season? No, because <laughs> I don't you think don't, Marvin Jones You don't see that? Nothing. No, because I don't think he's getting the targets. I think... Um... Well, if you look at... Oh, hold on. Now, if you look at last year when Stafford was there and Jones was healthy, like, Galladay and Jones were neck and neck in the rankings when he was that's healthy. Jones had one four-touchdown game. Like, if you look so did Galladay. targets... If you look through Jones's targets, um, like four, six. I'm I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that his his he's going to get peppered with targets. What I'm asking is, do you see 
a chance where maybe his touchdown produ- – like if, if Marvin Jones goes for 750 and eight scores and Juju goes for 1,105, those two seasons should balance out depending on how many receptions each one has, which I think Juju would end up with more. But th- that's going to be pretty close in the overall rankings. So In that scenario, maybe. But I don't think that would be that close, would it? Like I, I think I, it would. Like, I think the touchdowns would balance themselves out. Like if I'm projecting, like, because that's that's about where I'd have Marvin. Like I think he's going to overperform in the touchdown category because I think it's right. a good offense and he's a great red zone guy. So I think, yeah, I think Marvin. I'm look. I would look at Marvin as being a guy who's going to get about like fifty-five, eight hundred and eight. Um, right. And look at Juju. I'd project him for more like, I don't know, um, seventy-five, a thousand. And six would be where I have him. So that's that's an right. edge to I, I give I get I have Juju there. I think with yeah, I guess it's only about twenty eight more fantasy points. So so then huge yeah. So if you take if you take those positions, I mean, if if Andrew hits on his picks, I mean, he comes out the clear winner in this. I think so. I think that they're like I just wanted to point out a balance that it. This is why I said that when I talked to Andrew, I saw it and I understood it. And I'm not totally opposed to it. So in the, in the end, uh, I don't I don't hate this trade the way that I thought I did when I saw it. I, I agree, but I'm coming at it from like a right. Like I I just said my projections from Juju seventy five thousand and six. I'm assuming that that most people like there are people out there that think Juju will have like ninety five thirteen hundred and ten. Right. So if that's what you think, then it's a very bad trade. Um, Right. But yeah. To but, me, this one isn't cut and dry. I, I'm not sold. Obviously, Juju's also a lot younger. Marvin Jones probably has like two years left. But, right. But I, I don't think this is that bad. But I don't like no. Juju very much. So that's right. more my thing. Is could he have gotten better value elsewhere? And I don't know the answer to that. Right. And it's impossible to know now. So we'll just have to find out. So like I said, uh, we're going to move on to the second deal, which happened pretty quick afterwards. So if you want to hit that one, go ahead. Yeah. This one I didn't like, but um. Well, or, or sorry, I mean, I should say I didn't like it for, for, for Lions' side. Um, and that's probably evidenced by the fact that I then immediately traded for both of the people that DJ just got in this deal. Um, so obviously I'm quite high on them. Um, to me, I think this deal will look very different on Sunday um, because of Ro- the status of Ronald Jones and Justin Jackson and Chris Carson um, I think they have a lot at stake in the NFL draft. Like, right. let's, if we look at this favorably, how I'm going to guess Andrew sees it. He probably. So sees why don't we? Why, why don't we run down uh, the the players involved, and then yeah, we yeah. will run down the breakdown. Right. So it's Amari Cooper and Ronald Jones and Justin Jackson for Cooper Cup and Chris Carson and Cole Beasley, and there was like a couple thirds for a second, but I think that evens out. So. Right. Mostly we're looking at Cup and Carson for Cooper, Ronald Jones, and Justin Jackson. Okay. Um, and I think, yeah, like, if, if I'm looking at this through Andrew's lens, I'm assuming that he's assuming that Tampa Bay drafts a running back in the first two rounds. Because, so let's, let's, let's put DeAndre Swift on Tampa. Okay, Ronald Jones now is pretty useless. So now it's, right. you know, Cup and Carson for Cooper. Okay, that's fine. You know, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, could Ronald Jones have a running back drafted in, in his backfield? Absolutely. But I also think Chris Carson could. I, I don't think, I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle took a running back in the same round that Tampa took a running back. Right. And, you know, 
if we get into a situation where it's Cooper and Justin Jackson for Cooper Cup, I think then that's a very, very bad trade because I think that right. Mari Cooper is a lot better than Cooper Cup. Um, and, you know, Justin Jackson, nobody's talking about him, but that's another one. Let's say the LA Chargers just don't draft running back. You know, like they're probably drafting a quarterback in round one. They might even have to trade up for that quarterback. So if they have to trade up for a quarterback, they're probably losing their second round pick. You know, like if they, let's say they do that, they move six and 2.6 for, for three, they get Tua. Now your second pick is until the first pick of the third round. You're taking a running back? Probably not. So now right. Justin Jackson is probably what? Splitting the rushing load with Austin Eckler? Maybe not That's getting right. as much of the receiving? Like, I don't think he's a nothing in this deal. I think he's, he's, he could be really interesting. You know, I, I kind of break it down the same way. I know that just from knowing Andrew the way I do, he regretted trading Cooper Cup in the OG legal record. He regretted trading him. And then with Cooks being shipped out, I completely understand why he thinks he's going to be the wide receiver one. He likes him more than Woods. I do too. His touchdown percentage could, excuse me, the touchdown percentage can continue. Personally, I was a Cooper Cup owner that he traded with, so I was happy to see his touchdowns late in games, but I also know that I almost died of a heart attack every week. But I think the Rams offense is going to be better in the passing game at least. And with Gurley gone and Cook's gone, I think targets are there. So I understand uh, the the Amari Cooper for Cooper Cup. I think Amari Cooper gets a little bit of a bump for his name value. I mean, I don't know how many times he's even hit 1,200 yards in the NFL, uh, Amari Cooper. So I, I get it. And if you believe that Chris Carson is going to touch the ball 20 times a game, th- this trade is even. Uh, taking out personal opinion, where I think also Seattle's drafting running back, if you read their beat writers and listen to their radio segments they put out in Seattle, everyone there thinks they're taking a running back because I think they don't believe in the penny. So I, I can see this going very south very quick for either side. So I'm not, like I said, not going to beat a dead horse with it. Uh, I actually looking through a more accepting lens after talking to Andrew about this trade. I did not get the other side's opinion of this. I forgot to reach out, so my bad. If you have a different opinion or disagree, please feel free to get at me and I will talk about it on the regular Friday edition. So this this trade, I find it, it could go either way. I don't hate it like I thought I did at first. It was a knee-jerk reaction. My apologies. Uh, if you have anything else to add, uh, Jacob, please do. Uh, otherwise, hit us with the next one. Yeah, I mean, if you get 2019 Cop and 2019 Carson, this trade's really good for, for Andrew. I just, I don't have them ranked that way. I have Cop ranked as my wide receiver 20, and I have Cooper ranked as my wide receiver 6. So I have quite a gap there. Um, but I, I do think with Cop, like, the big issue last year at the end was he was only seeing the field on like 60, 70% of snaps because they basically ran to a 22 personnel on their offense. Right. And they played Woods 100% of snaps because he's an excellent run blocker. And then they kind of split snaps between Cooks and Cup. Obviously, like now I would assume Cup is probably going to be back as a 90% plus snap rate guy. Um, so I think if that's the case, then it's good. I'm not sure about that because I think Josh Reynolds is also a really good run blocker. 
And so if they run, 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 want to run 22 sets, I think Reynolds will still get on the field um, in run blocking situations and in, and in play action looks. And so I do, I don't love cup um, for this year, particularly, I do actually prefer woods to cup for dynasty. I, I would prefer cup since he's the younger guy, but um, I I'm just big on Amari Cooper. I assume we're going to get into the bet later. So I'm holding off on Cooper, especially because we're getting to my trade for Cooper later. So I actually kind of see a world where they don't run two tight ends. I think we're assuming that Everett is going to have a spot. I see a world where it's Reynolds, Cup, and Woods with Higby on the field because Reynolds is basically Everett but can do more. But they were so bad with 31 personnel last year. Like they, they didn't go to 22 because they like thought it'd be fun. It was because they, they couldn't run the ball. I think, I think that's Cooks's fault. Cooks can't run block. Cooks can't do much of anything close to the line, so they're using Cooper Cup as a glorified pulling tight end. Well, I don't know but how Cup, many times we were texting each other last year yeah. saying that. I see a world where Reynolds is basically Everett in that role, and they can expand the offense. They'll be able to... Everett's not a run blocker. No, he's... That's, a, not, he's, that's not what he does. He's a fragile... No, out, he's, he's more your Evan Ingram type tight end, yeah. Exactly. So if Reynolds can be a run blocker, I think Everett doesn't have a job. I think it's Higby. So if you get Higby and Reynolds, it's essentially the same personnel as their version of the two tight end set, leaving Cup on the field 90% of the time. And I think that's what we're going to get. Personally, like I went back and I watched... I've So for anyone who doesn't know, I've watched every snap of every team in the NFL over the last two years. Because I've had a lot of time on my hands. So in doing that... I have seen how the offense operates a lot. And I see Reynolds replacing Everett in that situation. They run one tight end, three wide receivers. They might sub-package a fullback, which I've heard quite a bit about, even though McVay doesn't really use one. Uh, I have seen that in reports from the Rams. So I think that Cooper Cup could be, could be just as valuable as Amari Cooper to his team. Whether that happens, I don't know. We're only going to know by the end of the year. But that's why I'm not as opposed to this deal as my first reaction was. I really spent time working through it. That's the conclusion. Uh, Andrew, and who is the other side, sorry? Uh, DJ, D. Jameson. Okay, so DJ, Andrew, if you guys have, if I miss something there, like I said, get at me, let me know, and I will... I will either try to have you on the show for Friday or we will talk through and I will, I will be the voice of the conversation. So like I said, if you have anything else to add, great. If not, let's move on to the next one. Let's move it along. Um, we got, uh, now we got Stolp getting Leonard Fournette um, and Dari Ogunbowale Ugh. Um, from, it was the Veridox, right? Veridox, Julio. Yeah. Jones, um, first round pick in 2021, and John Brown. Okay, so I think that we have annihilated our opinions on this, and I think we don't need to spend more than a couple minutes on this. Nope. So we both disagree that Julio Jones should go for Fournette. We both That's disagree correct. that a first round pick should be added, and that John correct. Brown was like a cherry on top. Or was it John Brown? Yeah, John, yeah Brown. It's John Brown. So 
I can understand from Stolps's team build why he doesn't view Julio as that guy because big receivers do tend to break down. If he's right that this is the year, he looks really good because Fournette is going to get a lot of touches no matter where he goes for at least this season because he's, you know, that age where they're going to run him into, they're going to Derrick Henry him, running him into the ground, make his legs useless, and then replace him. So he he's very well could get the volume. And if he thinks Julio is going to break down, awesome. If he's not big on rookie picks, which some people don't have that in their projections that high, then great. And then he looks like a genius, and we're sitting there with our dick in our hands. So I, I see it. I get it. I'm not going to go much farther into it. Uh, John Brown's a nice pickup to kind of um, just to get a kicker. I'm assuming there needed to be a second part, a third part in there for someone to feel more comfortable with it. Um, how that worked out, I don't know. But that's that's probably where I'm going to leave it. I think I, I can work out for both people. I think one side got uh, the more dominant side of this, but I understand it from Stolps as well. I just, I don't know. I just, I'm just really low on Fournette. Um, I have him at RB17. I'm assuming he stays in Jacksonville because it doesn't seem like um, there's any takers right now. Um, that could obviously change if he's, if he's somewhere else. But assuming he's in Jacksonville, like, I think that offense is going to be absolute shit. Um, like, to me, it's kind of similar to the Le'Veon Bell situation last year or David Johnson like two years ago where you have this big name brand running back who used to be a top 10 pick and we're like, well, he's going to get 250 carries and he's going to get 50 targets. So how could he not be an RB one? And like, yeah, maybe when you add it all up, he kind of will be, but the like Florida ceiling is the same. Like if you look at Le'Veon Bell, you were a Le'Veon Bell owner in a league. It was disastrous. Like it was just every week. It'd be like 11 points, 12 points, 13 points. Cause the offense isn't going to score any points. So the offense doesn't score any points. How are you getting, you know, two, three touchdown games, which you sometimes need. Um, I mean, I guess if he gets like a hundred targets like he did last year, then that's a very different story. I don't think that happens. I think they will either use Armstead more or they'll get a pass catching running back because as much as Fournette got the passing game work, it wasn't like he was efficient with it. He was getting like 5.2 yards per target. So it was more like he was just kind of there and he was receiving the ball but it was very much volume-based. Like It wasn't like Austin Eckler or Christian McCaffrey where they're catching the ball and making things happen. So but I think I think if you if you try to put it as McCaffrey and Eckler, you're looking at two like unicorns at the position for that last year. But like, if you look at Kamara's, if you like, look at Kamara's um, efficiency, it wasn't good either. I'm just talking so about I like mean, watching, just just watching it. Like watch the way that a guy like Eckler or James White or Tariq Cohen, these like natural pass catching backs, like when they catch the ball how fluid it is. Like you can see, like they can run an actual route tree. They can run the angle route. They can run the wheel route. They're catching the ball in stride. They're looking at, at who they're going to juke out. Whereas a Fournette, it's, it's, it's bulky. Like he's running the route out of the backfield. He kind of turns, loses momentum to catch the ball. Then he tries to like get his big body up and running again. And he gets tackled. And it's is just some like, of that Minshew? Well, like is some of that of Minshew, Minshew not placing the ball? A lot of it's Minshew. Like I think Minshew is really bad. But I think that hurts Fournette's fantasy value. Like, I, okay. I, think, like I, think, I think he's playing on a team with the worst defense in the NFL and one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL and not a very good O-line either. So I think that it's really hard for me to see how he's going to hit 20 points that many weeks when his team is going to average like 15 points a game, in my opinion, 
Um, right. And I, and I, like, I think they're going to go two and 14. So I don't know how you'd be an RB one on a two and 14 team. I think you have to be like a Saquon Barkley esque freak of nature and whether Fournette is as bad as I think he is, or is what other people are saying in the chat. I don't think anyone thinks he's like Saquon Barkley. So I just don't see how he's an RB one this year unless the team is a lot better than I think they're going to be. But what if you don't need him to be? Like, Stolp didn't make this trade for him to be his RB1. He made it to make the RB to be his RB3, which I get. I don't agree, again, with trading the capital to get that. But if you want to have a lengthy running back uh, group, sometimes you got to pay for that. And I think maybe that was a strategy that he never has to worry about losing a week because of running backs. So I, I get, get it. that. I get that. But if he's not an RB1, then he's not as good as Julio Jones. Right. Okay. And I think that that's where, again, if he's right about Julio Jones's decline, then he's a genius. And if not, like I said, we are, we, we feel pretty smart about our maybe bullish comments. So would that's, you, would you, would you, you trade have, a 2021 first and John Brown for Leonard Fournette? Uh, so full disclosure, I traded, Leonard Fournette in League of Record for a second round pick, and I think Will Fuller. So Paris I think Campbell. Paris Campbell. So I think that says enough about what I think of him. But to be fair, I also traded quite a bit for him for my championship run. So you look at it from both sides, right? Mm-hmm. I think I got out. I think I got out at the right time, where Stolp thinks he's getting out on Julio at the right time. So actually. That's a good way to compare it because I yep. felt like I got out at the right time on Fournette, and this year he thinks he's getting out at the perfect time for Julio. So I think if you look at it that way, actually, it makes it, it makes more sense. I think the pick and Brown, like I would have traded Julio for Fournette straight up. At worst, I had a second. So, or at, at most, I should say, I had I had a twenty twenty one second round pick, and to me, that gets the deal done. But I also know that some people are ruthless negotiators. I'm one of them. So sometimes it's hard to get that deal done. If, like I said, at the end of this, he's right and he trusts his gut, you know, Stolp's in the driver's seat. It could go either way. And looking at it that way, it's more even if I take out my bias. I'm trying to be an unbiased commissioner on the mic anyway. And looking at it that way, I could see it from both sides. So, like I said, if you got something else to add on, Stolp, if I got that right, and I'm sorry, I keep forgetting who the other part of that was, but if I if I got it right, let me know. If I got it wrong, feel free to let me know. And like I said, we'll just keep rolling with it uh, on the Friday show. So, Jacob, Absolutely. if you got something else to add, no, add it up. It if not, perfect. Let's move on to the next one because there was a few. Yeah, now it's, now it's uh, Colonel Mostert. Um, Colonel Raheem yes. going to D. Jameson for Perriman and a 2021 first. Okay, so the uh, DJ tra- uh, approached me about Mostert, who I got in the deal we talked about last week. I didn't want to move Cook without getting a third running back. As everyone in the league knows, I have been trying desperately to not rely on Darius Geis's potential as my second running or my I guess my second running back actually, not even third which is, now that I think about it, really insane. But when he approached me that he liked Mostert, I thought, okay, well, I got him for a third and Perriman, who I liked. Or no, sorry, I got him for a third and Tate. Yeah. And Tate, I'm I'm going to bat with in leagues right now. Or going to bat four. And 
initially, I'll break this down. I'll full disclosure. He offered a 2022 first. And so I asked an outside source what they thought. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask for the first because if Geist does go south, I want some reassurance. I didn't think I'd get it. But when he sent it, I was very happy. So I do need another running back. But I swapped out my third round, a third round pick for a first round pick next year. And I, to me, upgraded uh, from Tate to Perriman because I think Perriman's going to be inconsistent, but I'm going to have some good weeks if I hit uh, with him next year. Yeah, I mean, this one, this one to me is pretty inexplicable <laughs> just because, I don't know, my, my, my two rules of thumb for, for whether something is like certifiably a bad trade is, you know, um, could I see a scenario where it works out? I mean, you could probably always see a scenario where something works out. Um, and you know, if Mostert, like, so let's say they cut Tevin Coleman and they actually decide we're giving Mostert 75% of the snaps. Well, then, then it probably does work out. And the other one is, you know, could you have gotten this or a comparable deal for a lot less? And like, I know firsthand that he could have, because I traded Mostert the day before for Golden Tate in the three point freaking nine. So like, I'm a little annoyed because like I had Mostert on the block for like two this weeks. This comes from, this comes from a was, place of sourness. Because I shopped him to everyone for two weeks. (laughs) I would have taken, if he had given me Perriman and a third, I would have said yes. Uh, If he had had offered me just Perriman, I would have, I would have thought long and hard about it. So to me, like to see, to see go over 21 first, like, well, that, that wasn't necessary. Um, So that's why it's like hard for me to to like it. But again, people, people value picks. People value picks super different, man. Like if DJ likes what he saw, he passes the eye test. but I'd say you could have had the same player for Perriman in 2021 second a day earlier. Like, that's indisputable. I mean, like I said, I'm not going to complain. I sent it out there, and sometimes you just got to take a swing. And I didn't want to move Mostert. I didn't want to move him. But it gets to a point where I'm going to put it out there, and if, if someone bites, I'm always there's no one on my team I'm not going to trade if it comes down to it. I was taking offers for Lamar Jackson in the middle of his MVP season last year. I'll listen to anyone, and if I get what I want, I'll take the deal. And I, I got something that I don't feel like I could I could uh, turn down. So unless you got something else to add to that one, no, nope, uh, that's all. Let's let's move on. Also, DJ, uh, if, I got, was... if I got any of that wrong, DJ, uh, let me know. Next was um, Slayton and the two point one in twenty twenty for Mac in a twenty twenty one second. I hate this deal. I hate this deal. So. I'll tell you why I hate this deal. And it's going to come down to the same conversation that you and I have argued about. This is our new DJ Moore, uh, Curtis Samuel argument. I am not in on Darius Slayton. I'm the outlier here. I think he's their fourth option on their offense until someone gets shipped out or hurt again. And Mac is going to have a chance at finishing as an RB1. Forget the picks. I don't care about that. Just play the player for player here. I think Mac is the clear winner. Clear winner. Um, and this is coming from a little bit of a sourness because I did throw out an F1 plus a pick for Mac. And he took Slayton. It wasn't an official thing, so I can't sit here and be like, die, you pick someone else. I can't do that. But it, it was tossed out. So maybe it's a little bit of bitterness too because, again, I need a running back really bad. But I just I like Mac over Slayton this year at least this year and if he gets another contract with Indy I like him for the next couple of years so 
I know you're going to have a better analysis than I am. I just like Mac more than Slayton, and I'm going to have to rest on this trade with that statement. Well, I do like Mac more than Slayton, for sure. But I, I don't think you can just ignore the picks. I think, like, the 2.1, it's basically a first. Um, and then, you know, it's a 2021 20, second, which that could be anywhere. So I, I would value, like, an unknown 2021 20, second more like an early 2023rd. 20, so I do think that's significant. I think you're basically moving up okay. a round in terms of value. Put it, putting it that way, it's more even, for sure. Um, like, yeah, if it was just Mac for Slayton straight up, I, I wouldn't like it. But I do love Darius Slayton. Um, like I think I don't I think this like the idea that he's a fourth option. I think that is not the case. I think he's the number one option. Um I think Evan Ingram will not be wearing a Giants jersey in week one of the season. Um I think Sterling Shepard is a concussion prone slot receiver. I think Golden Tate is a aging slot receiver. And I think Slayton's the only one on that team who can play the clear X role. Um, and has he put it all together yet? No, but we're talking about a fifth round pick who in year one had an extremely impressive rookie season. I mean, this guy, I, I don't know the stats offhand, but I would guess that he probably was more productive in his rookie season, certainly than Hollywood Brown, you know, obviously more productive than like JJR Siegel Whiteside and Paris Campbell. Um, I think he was pretty close to equally productive to, you know, Terry McLaurin, definitely behind AJ Brown, but, um, I mean, this is a guy that came into a situation and it wasn't handed to him, right? This wasn't like a situation with Debo and Hollywood and whatever. They were just placed into the starting lineup. Slayton start first week. He had, he played 0% of the snaps. He's playing behind Cody Latimer. Um, and he worked his way on the field. And when he did, he produced. He was playing the same snaps that other guys were playing and he was producing better. Um, he's the only guy with top end, top end speed. Um, you know, he's the clear deep threat. And at worst case scenario, that's all he is. He's going to be, you know, a 20% to 18% target share guy who gets maybe, you know, 80, 90 targets, but they're going to be high leverage targets because he's going to be getting all the deep work. He's going to get end zone looks. That's the worst case scenario. I also think there's a scenario where he emerges as a clear cut number one that's going to be 110, 120 target guy, you know, and, and all of a sudden now we're looking at him next year as the way we're looking at DJ Moore now, the way we're looking at Cortland Sutton now, um, you know, those guys. I think that's very possible. You know, you think back to DJ Moore and Cortland Sutton's rookie seasons. Those were guys where, you know, they showed flashes. They didn't put it all together yet, but you saw stuff. And then, you know, they made that jump. And I think you're looking at the Giants. The Giants aren't winning the Super Bowl this year. If, the, when, if and when the Giants are a really good team, Golden Tate won't be on it. True. Um, if and when the Giants are a really good team, I don't think Sterling Shepard will be on it. Um, so, you know, if there's a guy there that has a chance to be their future wide receiver one to Daniel Jones, it's, it's Slayton or he is not on the team yet. Um, and I think they're going to want to give Slayton every chance to be that. Cause I don't think they're going to be that great of a team, but I think it'll be a fun team. I think they'll score some points and their defense sucks. So they're going to be behind a lot. Um, and I could see Slayton having a real Cortland Sutton esque you know, breakout, um, I'm not comparing to Sutton. I think they're different types of receivers, but I just mean from like a from the point of view of like a rookie who showed flashes to then becoming like a second year guy who's like, oh, this is the guy. I, I think so it could happen. You're believing in the second year breakout. I'm believing I'm believing what I saw in first year that I think he will get a lot better in second year. 
Okay. If he, if, I think if, he repeats if you what he did in year one, it's a bad trade, but I don't think that's the case. I think if you, you've kind of changed my mind on the opinion with the pick. So I think if you put it all together, looking at it uh, from that point of view, then I understand it. I do get it. I think my pick that I offered was a 207. So he's getting a pick upgrade for what could turn out to be the same receiver. So looking at it that way, I do get it. Um, Mac rocks. I'm with you on that. He I does. Think, I mean, I'm a Colts homer. I think Mac is I, like so, so good. I've taken him in the fourth round in startups this year. So same. most like I look at it that way. But if you like you said, if he passes the eye test for you or maybe you like maybe you listen to a podcast or maybe you uh, read an article where you're like, man, that guy really, really influenced me a little bit. Like I believe now that's fine, too. There's no right or wrong in getting to your conclusion. There's only right and wrong in results, which we really have no control over. We're all rolling a dice here. So I think that looking at it that way, this trade's value definitely evens out more than I thought it did. Here's the fear. Do you, do you remember a guy, Charles Johnson? Of course I do. For the Vikings? Yep. Like that, that's, that would be my worst case scenario where you had a guy who was, I think, a late round pick or undrafted. He flashed a lot at the end of the year. Similar type of receiver, actually, where he was a really fast guy. He was a deep threat. Um, and they didn't have a whole lot else at wide receiver. I think, like, their number one that year was, like, Mike Wallace, um, who, you know, um, he was, like, Gross. kind of like Tate, where, like, on the end of his career, seen better days, but he's still kind of productive. And, like, I remember Charles Johnson came in. And he was doing stuff, especially in a couple games against bad teams. I remember he had a really good game, I think, against the Dolphins. And I, like, drafted a lot of Charles Johnson the next year. He did absolutely nothing. He was horrible. They ended up drafting another fifth-round wide receiver who turned out to be really good by the name of Quan Diggs. So, you know, that's the one thing. It's like they haven't invested enough in Slayton yet. So he could bust. He's a high-risk guy. But I, I, I right. do see the ceiling. And I, I personally think it's more likely that we see the ceiling in the floor. But, you know, he's not a lock, that's for sure. And looking at it that way, it's totally fine. Like I said, I've, I've changed my mind live here on this podcast about I've, – I've changed my mind on this trade – uh, just talking it out, which sometimes that's all you got to do. If you're by yourself and you're stewing about it, maybe, you know, you feel you got burned a little bit. But talking it out, it, it really has uh, evened me out on this. So I don't think I need to – we need to go on a little further about it. Like I said, for the parties involved, if I got it right, let me know. If I got it wrong, definitely let me know. And with that being said, if you got something else to add, go for it. But if we got another no trade, hit it We're up. We're on to the most exciting trade, which is um, – <laughs> oh, I wrote this out wrong. I accidentally put mine at the end, but that's fine. We'll just do it that way. Uh, We're on to the most exciting trade, which was Jimmy Graham and Reggie Bonifon. <laughs> so, do you have, like, any okay. interesting comments? I have none. I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm be really quick about it. So <laughs> anyone thinks this trade was crazy? This trade took longer than any other trade that I've made this year so far. That's crazy. So we just couldn't agree on pick value. There were picks thrown around in this. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make it his worst tight end, who I think is garbage for his team, and someone who might turn out to be valuable for Andrew's team. And I wanted to leave it at that. Eventually we settled on it. I drafted Burton as my tight end too without realizing that I didn't have another tight end. And for me, that is my worst nightmare. I am a three-startable tight end guy in every league except this one. Because for some reason, I went off the rails here. And I needed a tight end too, and I didn't want to pay for it. So 
I got it done. If he catches like 10 passes this year, I'll be happy as long as it's during my starting tight ends bye week and he cannot do anything the rest of the year. I am probably going to make a move for another tight end down the line or draft the same one I've been talking about forever. But I actually think I've talked about the tight end I want in this draft more than I've talked about any running back, quarterback, or receiver, which is kind of frightening. But that's why I'm not going to really go into more about it. Um, If you have a tight end and you want to trade him, hit me up. But moving on to the next one, hit me with it. Um, Yeah, I think... I think neither of those players will make any impact. But if you want Jared Cook or Johnny Smith, they're very available, especially Jared Cook. Um, my uh, my deal here, um, so this was um, Dalvin Cook and Julian Edelman for Amari Cooper, Ronald Jones, the 3.1 in 2020, a 2021 second, and a 2022 first. Um, I obviously know oh, how I feel about this. shit. Um, so why don't you go uh, and, and lend your thoughts to it since um, from the outside perspective. This was with uh, for- D. Jameson, by the way, of course, which I for- features the two picks. So if you put it together for him, he basically got um, Julian Edelman and Dalvin Cook and Justin Jackson for Cooper Cup, Chris Carson, um, the 3.1, the 2021 second, and the 2022 first. You know, looking at it, I frig- I didn't realize there's a 2022 first in this deal. So that's a great pickup. Uh, DJ's going all in. Um, he picked up the Colonel. He picked up uh, Cook. I think his running backs are comfortable for him. And I think that you did what you always do, which is go get your receiver. For further record, he offered four 2020 first-round picks for Amari Cooper last season in legal record. He did it. He believes in him. He likes him. Loves him more than he's gonna let on. But I think I love that Mark I know you do. So <laughs> I think that I think that uh, when you put both of well all of DJ's deal together, you see his philosophy. You see what he's doing. He's going all in for it for the next couple of years. And by the way it looks, he's into dealing. So he's not gonna be out of options if it goes south. I think that both guys got good value. I love Julian Edelman for this year. I know people are panicking. Brady's gone. Brady's gone. Uh, McDaniels isn't. Edelman's going to be there, and he's going to get peppered for another 80 targets. At least. eight. Sorry, 80 receptions. At least. So he's going to be really good for whoever has him this year. I've drafted him a lot. Uh, so I get that pick up. The, the pick value, I'm always going to disagree with DJ on, apparently. But... If he believes in it, he believes in it. And like I said, you did what you always do. You got picks. You got players that you don't hate. You got one that you loved. I think that this deal works out for both teams. I like it on your end a little more for the pick value. Uh, I mean, obviously, I traded Dalvin Cook so for Tyree Kill. So I'm definitely into the top receiver over running back in that situation. Um Overall, I like it. There's nothing. I, there's nothing I, I hate about this trade. Nothing. Nothing I hate about it. Um, overall, it works great. It fits both of your personalities, from what I can tell. Uh, I, I think this was a good deal. So, I don't have much else to say about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on it from my end. Um, 
you know, there's, there's deals where sometimes I click accept and I'm like, oh man, I really got this guy. This wasn't the deal like that. I mean, he got Dalvin Cook and he got Julian Edelman, who I agree, I think for 2020 at least, will be a very valuable piece as a wide receiver three, maybe even a low-end wide receiver two. Um, so this is definitely not one where I'm like, oh man, I fleeced him. I think, um, you know, I'm happy with what I got. Obviously, like, my team right now is very much, um, like, it's, you know, like Schrodinger's cat from from Big Bang Theory, where it's like the cat's either dead or alive, but we don't know which yet. Like, right. My, my RB2 is like a three-headed monster between Ronald Jones, Daryl Henderson, and Damian Williams, with my theory of the case being that they can't all take Jonathan Taylor. Um, <laughs> so, like... <laughs> So like we're gonna just we're gonna see because like I've I'm fully accepted that like at least one of those three players is going to lose all of their value in like two days, but whichever like don't lose all their value is gonna gain a whole bunch of value to make up for it. Right, you're um, hedging your bets. So I'm assuming I'll have an RB two. <laughs> it right. might not happen. Um, with the other one, like yeah, for me it was the picks. I mean like I I put myself in a tough spot off the top. Um, back when when I had to do that trade for Daryl Henderson in the draft where I, I gave up, you know, the entirety of my 2021 draft um, for Daryl Henderson. Right, right. I really, really believe it. Basically, you end up with a spot where I was able to recoup a first and, uh, and a third this year um, for, uh, it actually ended up being this third, it just came back to me, um, for, for an eighth round pick in the draft, which I would have taken Austin Hooper. So I got a first and, and a third for that. And then this kind of helped seal that up with the with the 2021 second. So I'm back to having a regular right. 2021 class. And then out of the 2022 first, I mean, like you said, I think DJ is all in. I was actually happy to get his 2022 first because I think his team is absolutely locked and loaded this year. Um, so I am more inclined to say that his 2022 first might be better than his 2021 first. Cause I think he, right. he is, a, he is a very win now team right now, but whether that holds up in a couple of years, who knows? And then, you know, Ronald Jones, it's another dart throw. Like, Everyone's assuming they'll draft a running back. I'm sure they'll draft a running back. But, like, let's say they don't draft, you know, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift. Let's say they take, like, I don't know. A.J. Dillon. In the fourth. Okay. <laughs> I'm on board, right? Like, maybe they just look at it and say, we don't only really trust Ronald Jones in pass protection. So, let's get a guy to come in and play on third downs. It's better than Daria Gumbawale. But oh, we God. have other needs. And Ronald Jones is fine to run the ball on first and second down. And if that's the case, it's probably a back-end RB2 and a really good offense. Do you see a scenario where they sign Devontae Freeman? Like, everyone's kind of forgetting that Devontae Freeman was on pace to be an RB1 at the start of the year. Ugh. Like, his, uh, he was. His, his receptions, like, he may not be able to run the football without a great offensive line, but when it comes to receiving the ball, he's one of the best. That is very possible. I think, like, that's a guy that probably teams will definitely look at post-draft because, right. you know, he's, like, he's he's better than, like, the DeAndre Washingtons of the world where you're picking them up regardless of whether you're going to draft a running back. But right. He's good enough where it's like, if you sign Devonte Freeman, you already probably have someone on your roster. Now you're not drafting a running back. So I feel like there's going to be one team that's going to think about drafting Jonathan Taylor, Deandre Swift. And then, yeah, they're going to be like, ah, you know what? Fuck it. We'll just get Devonte Freeman. Um, maybe to that's Baltimore the Freeman. Maybe that's Come to Baltimore, please. He'd be a great fit in Baltimore because the, the only guy you have that really profiles the pass catching back is Justice Hill. But you guys seem to be allergic to Justice Hill. Yeah, I agree. So, so like, I think Harbaugh hates him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, so that Devontae Freeman. I think it's. Really I think. There. I think it's because he looks like an eighth grader. So <laughs> that could be. That could um, be. Any, 
so we yeah, got a little Cooper, off, off, off topic there. The I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm oh, the saying, bet. I, I got Cooper, of course. He's my boy. And are, are we going to talk about the, the Cooper Moore bet here? So I think we have to. I think we got uh, it. If, if anyone that – so I, is that it for the trades? Are we done? That's all the trades. Okay, we got three more quick segments to get through. Just really fast, really fun. Excuse me. We're going to go with the bet. And this is not a water bet. This is a legit – this is a $50 bet. I am so in on DJ Moore, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I think I'm right on this. So in Amari Cooper's best season, he hasn't hit that 1,290-catch, 10-touchdown season. He hasn't done it. And I think that his draft capital, his name, his college production is kind of carrying his weight. And don't get me wrong, I have a lot of shares of him. I need him to be a wide receiver, one. And I one— Michael Gallup's really good. Two, Zeke gets a lot of work. Three, I think they upgraded their tight end by letting their starting tight end go. And four, I don't think Dak is coming near 5,000 yards again with McCarthy in the building. I think their defense is pretty solid. They're not going to be behind a whole bunch, in my opinion. I know they're the Cowboys, so they're going to disappoint. But with DJ Moore, their defense is dog shit. He gets a quarterback upgrade. DJ Moore had eight quarterbacks throw him the ball at Maryland. He had backups in the NFL in in his second year. His rookie year, he had a hard time getting on the field, but he showed the improvement. He took it over. He plays in the slot. I believe in the offense coming in. Bridgewater's not going to throw. I think Curtis Samuel is so not the guy they thought he was that they brought in an identical player who's also dog shit to be on the outside. I don't believe in Ian Thomas. McCaffrey is not going to replicate his receiving work. I think DJ Moore is opening himself up to 130 to 140 targets. If he gets that and they're somewhat accurate, he's reeling in 90 plus catches. There's no way he stays at three touchdowns. I think DJ Moore is going to outproduce Cooper's best career season in his third year and i i am in on that everyone who knows me knows that i am a more truther but there are stats behind it that's the backup i'm not saying cooper's bad i just think this year Moore's in a better position okay is that your case that's my case it's a good that's case my 50, that's a good my case. 50 dollar case it's a good case so i i pulled right. up i pulled up the fantasy pros on consensus ranking it's not because i like think about them often but i was just curious to see how they'd have it and they have it as a very very close race they actually have amari cooper as consensus wide receiver eight dj moore consensus wide receiver nine so um you know pretty even bet they also have juju as the wide receiver six which makes me want to vomit but anyway um, so i think it's close um i mean i should first of all I'm, not, I'm also not a dj moore hater i have him at what he's my wide receiver eight in dynasty that's higher than consensus He's my wide receiver one in my most expensive dynasty league. Um, I like DJ Moore. That being said, when I look at these head-on, uh, I think I know where we disagree, and it's a, and it's more about the Cowboys' I think philosophy and especially their defense. Um, Mike McCarthy, for the eight years that he was head coach of the Packers, it wasn't even close. He had the highest pass percentage on early downs of any coach during that span and like it was like by like five percent over second he place. had like, Favre and Rodgers it wasn't it 
well, not far, not not during any of those Sorry. teams. That was all he under had the, Pete under the Rogers. Rogers. I mean, I get that, but I just philosophically, I mean, Pete Carroll's had Russell Wilson. He he refuses to pass the ball, so I think okay. McCarthy is yeah. not a guy who's like he's not a ground and pound coach. I'm not saying they'll necessarily pass more than anyone in the NFL, but I don't look at Pete Carroll or I don't look at Mike McCarthy coming in as a symbol that they're going to run the ball more. If anything, to me, they're going to run the ball less. Um, you know, you saw last year, it really was a change with Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator, and he's staying on as offensive coordinator, where, you know, it used to be it was a totally Zeke-based offense, you know, and that got away from that. And whether you think that's, that's, that's how they should play or shouldn't play, whatever, I, I, clearly last year it was Dak's team. He threw for 5,000 yards. Um, he, I don't have his pass attempts offhand, but it was probably up close to 600. Enough. Um, like, you know, he threw the ball a ton. And to me, you bring in a coach who has a history of passing more than Jason Garrett as a head coach. You bring in, um, you keep Kellen Moore, who was the one who went to this style of offense, went to that up-tempo scheme. And the defense, to me, got worse because they lost Byron Jones. And it wasn't all that great last year to begin with. And I think you have a team that's going to throw the ball a lot. And who's there? Well, they lost Randall Cobb. You know, he's not nothing. He's not great, but he's not nothing. Um, they lost Jason Witten, which I do agree. I think that's an upgrade with Blake Jarwin. But, you know, is, how many targets is Blake Jarwin commanding? I don't think, like, more than, like, 70. Um, and so, you know, and you see last year, too, with Moore, they threw the ball a lot less to Zeke. Um, they used to throw to him, you know, 80, 90 times a year. I think he was down more around 60, 70 last year. Um, it's just they, they were more of a vertical offense last year, less dump offs. And Dak was, in my opinion, he's really, really good. He was super efficient, especially from a fantasy perspective. You know, he had some clunkers in real life. But I look at that situation. I think it's fantastic. Carolina, the defense is horrible. Um, they threw the ball more than any team in the league last year. I don't think that happens again. Um, I think everything that Matt Rule has said, I, I think he, he wants to establish the running game. Whether he'll be able to establish the running game with the worst defense in the NFL I'm not so sure, but I think you'll try. Um, you know, Curtis Samuel's still there. Robbie Anderson comes in. Ian Thomas, I think that's another team that might have upgraded their tight end by their starting tight end leaving. Um, like, and Christian McCaffrey, you know, he's going to get like 130, 140 targets. I don't even know if DJ Moore is a leading so. target getter on his own team. So, I mean, I, just, I think with that, with that situation and the quarterback, I mean, it's not close. I, Teddy, is he better than Kyle Allen? Yeah. Um, but is he as good as Dak Prescott, especially from a fantasy perspective? I think absolutely not. I think Teddy is a classic quarterback who's better in real life than fantasy because he doesn't throw any picks. He doesn't really take any chances. He, he win, he'll help win you games, but he's not the guy who's, who's going to be creating a lot of chunk plays. So I look at Moore as a guy who will be really consistent. He's going to have a lot of games with 11 targets, 8 catches, and 80 yards, and that's really good. Um, I think, you know, you know who a co-Cooper is. He's going to disappear sometimes. That's, that's the Cooper experience. Um, but I also think with Cooper, you're going to have games where it's like nine catches, 190 yards, three touchdowns. Um, and I don't think you're going to see that much with Moore because I don't think Teddy's that kind of quarterback. And they don't use Moore in that way as much. I think that most of the deep shots are going to go to Anderson and they're going to go to Samuel. So I think if we're just saying who's going to get more fantasy points, I think it's going to be Cooper overall. I think there's weeks where as an Amari Cooper owner, I'm going to want to kill myself when you get the classic Amari Cooper, you know, two catch for 12 yard game. Um, but I also think since he's gone to Dallas, he was excellent in year one in Dallas. 
Then he was excellent for the first half. And then he got hurt. And he played like shit, but he was hurt. And if he's actually healthy, to me, he has upside to be the top guy. I mean, you're looking at, I think, 600 pass attempts. And, you know, there's he no got, reason why he can't get like 150 targets. Because it's just him if, and Gallup there. That's it. If you put Gallup's stats and Cooper's stats beside each other, would take the names out and show it to someone, do you think they're going to be able to tell who is who? That's a problem well, Gallup, for me. Gallup got a lot of great deep work. And, and he was hyper-efficient. But that's but, a problem to me. But Gallup's There's no one guy. like that on Carolina for DJ Moore. But Gallup's just one guy. Like, Cooper's got to deal with one guy. I mean, look, look at, like, Tampa Bay last year. Both Evans and Godwin were in the top five in points per game because they were the only two. They weren't throwing to O.J. Howard. There was no real third wide receiver until Perriman came up when the two got hurt. Like, with Dallas, to me, it's, they're just going to throw to those two over and over again. With Carolina, like, D.J. Moore is the clear one, but you've also got Samuel, and you've got Anderson, you've got Thomas, and McCaffrey gets more targets than any other running back. So I just think even though there's no one as good as Gallup on Carolina, the multitude of guys, and I do think Dallas throws more passes. And I think okay. they score a lot more touchdowns on offense, so that's, that helps. Well, I think that we've both made our case pretty strong. I think that this is a actual intelligent debate, not like some of our other ones. Yeah, and I, I think that this is going to be one that we are going to fight. I have a team where I have both guys, so That's it's going to be really awkward to me to be fighting more for DJ Moore, but I'm going to do it. I did it last year. I'm going to do it this year. And I'll do it every year until he retires. So that's going to that's our that's our big bet. I wanted to to talk that out. So we're already at uh, hour thirty, so I want to quickly run through. Uh, the next two parts here. So just quick, because the draft is coming up, I want to get two players at running back, two players at receiver, and one quarterback that you're excited to see where they land that no one's talking about. And I want you to do it quick, no explanation, just hit me with them. So okay, two, sorry, two was... running backs you're excited about. Sorry, this is in the NFL draft? It is. Okay. Um, and it's some people that nobody are talking about, hey? Right. Okay, Just off the so top of your two. head. Okay, I got I got two deep pulls then. Um, one is Keyshawn Vaughn, running back out of Vanderbilt. Um, I think he's he's a guy who performed over and over again against SEC competition. Um, not going to be lighting up the charts athletically necessarily. Um, he's kind of a guy that does everything really well. Doesn't really necessarily stand out. But he's a guy that went up against a bunch of defensive tackles and linebackers that are going to get drafted in the NFL and produce over and over and over again. Um, on a Vanderbilt team that wasn't all that great. So he's one guy I'd be looking at. Another one, this is really, really deep. I don't even know if he'll get drafted, but if he does, I think he could be fun. J.J. Taylor out of Arizona. He's a small Excellent little water pick. bug. Um, and I think him in like a Austin Eckler, James White, you know, Tariq Cohen type of role is not a guy you want as your early down running back, but he's a guy where if you get him some touches um, as that third down back, he could be really, really fun in offense. For instance, I think we're going to be. Where, I think we're going to be talking about him in two years. I think so too. I think he could be a blast. Absolutely. So, uh, quickly, give me two wide receivers. Two wide receivers. Okay. Um, first one. This is my guy, Lavisca Chenault. Um, I know he's probably on the edge of guys that people are talking about, but I don't think he's going to go until round two. He's maybe falling right now, which is weird. He's, he's got medical issues, right? He's got the core right. muscle problem, um, and and the problem is his 2018 tape makes your eyes fall out of your head. It's insane. His 2019 tape, there isn't as much of it because he spent half the year injured. Um, and he when Percy he Harvin himself. 
Yeah, he was playing through injuries, and it made him look a lot less explosive. But if he can get healthy, I mean, this is a guy where it's not the most polished route runner, but he is huge. He looks like a running back out there playing wide receiver. He is insane when he has the ball in his hands in space. Um, if, if he went to a team like the Saints that's willing to actually manufacture touches for guys and willing to put people in unique positions for their skill set, he could be so fun. You know, what I don't want to see is him go to a team like the Jets, for instance, where you're just going to push square pegs into round holes and try to force him to be a prototypical wide receiver. I think you could get there, but I don't think he's there yet. If you want this guy to contribute early, put him on a creative offense like the Ravens, like the 49ers, like the Saints, get the guy the ball in space, and he's going to do a lot of fun things. Um, and I think, you know, if he could work on the route running, then he could all of a sudden turn into an absolute beast. Um, awesome. But to me, like, I look at him, and I think the – well, I'm trying to remember the comparison I made. I said the worst-case scenario is Cordero Patterson. Um, and I think I said the best-case scenario – um, was like prime, prime Percy Harvin. And remember, he was actually really good for a while. He so. was amazing. Okay, good. Uh, I like the Chanel pick. What's the next one? Keep it a little shorter. Sure. Um, one quick one. This is a guy I hope the Colts take, Brandon, Brandon Ayuk. Um, nice, is, nice. Um, he's a guy where, again, it's pretty raw. Um, came out, he's a Juco transfer to Arizona State. Um, and he put a lot of fun on film. He's super explosive. I think, again, if yeah. you get him at the great offense, um, might be a bit of a learning curve that he can, he can do stuff right away down the field. And I think he's got a little bit of Henry Ruggs in him, but he's going to be going around or two later. Awesome. Okay. So one quarterback, go. One quarterback. Okay. Well, I mean, I love Jordan Love, but I won't talk about him because he's a guy everybody's talking about. Um, in terms of a later round guy, Anthony Gordon would be my pick um, out of Washington State. Um, I think he's really accurate, which is probably one of the hardest things to teach. He's you know kind of sneaky mobile. Um, comes out of that Mike Leach system where we've actually seen quarterbacks have pretty immediate success um, just recently with Gardner Minshew. Love it. And so I think someone like Anthony Gordon, if you're looking for a fourth, fifth round quarterback um, that in my opinion is, you know, comparable to the guys like Fromm and Jalen Hurts, um, that would be my pick for the later quarterbacks. He sounds like a New England guy. He could be a New England guy. Okay. So that was, that was five players pretty quickly explained that not a lot of people are talking about that Jacob here is excited about our last bit for people who don't know I actually have a co-producer and someone who will be our regular co-host Chris Koss and he has come up with a wonderful segment where I'm going to if it's myself and not a guest then I'm going to get quizzed on sports trivia where I like to think I'm smart but he has stumped me every (laughs) single time so Today, uh, as he's not able to be with us here to record, he has sent me his questions to try to stump uh, Cobb here. Uh, These are not just football questions. These are going to be every sport. So if you think you are a sports aficionado and can handle these questions, please sign up on the waiting list to be a guest, and he will stump you out. Are you ready for this, Cobb? I don't know, but we're going to find out. Okay, so first question up is a NHL question. Okay. So the NHL question is, and if you need me to explain the question, let me know. It is, who was the first goalie in the NHL to score goal? Oh, I believe it was Ron Hextall. You are correct. There we go. Well done. All right. Well done. So 
it's a bit of a tricky one as Billy Smith was credited uh, also with the pod. I'm going to bring some useless information to your lives. So here you go. Billy Smith was credited with a goal in 1979 because he was the last player to touch the puck before the opposing team accidentally scored on themselves. So technically <laughs> he's the official first goalie to score. However, Hextall was the first goaltender to actually shoot the puck intentionally into the other team's net. Ergo, he is the first goalie to score an NHL goal. Wow, that's a fun piece of trivia right there. Yep, that's what we're trying to do here. So the second one, I, you know, I came close. Fought? Ron Hextall and Billy Smith have they a legendary did, and goalie it was, fight. It was amazing. It's on uh, NHLfights.com, and it's uh, on dropthegloves.com as well. It's phenomenal. I think those sites still exist. Yeah. So here's this is going to be a soccer question for UK people. Oh boy! And our Australia people. <laughs> this is not uh, up my alley. My, it wasn't mine either. I actually got the sec. I thought it was the second person, uh, but I was wrong. So all-time international goal leaders for men and women. This is not men only. Who has scored oh, the most God. goals? internationally in in soccer okay so i know i'm not going to get women because i know who it is but i can't think of a name this um, is putting them together so let's see i'm trying to think oh no oh it's just one name yeah one person for both for men and women oh, okay well it might be that woman anyway but I, I can't think of her name so i guess i'll just guess a guy um hmm oh man um I don't know soccer. I'll guess Diego Maradona. No. The leader in international goals scored is Christine Sinclair. Wait, really? 186 she passed, goals. She passed that, that American woman? Who's the, who's the next? Abby Wambach. Yeah, that's who I was trying to think of. That's but who I thought. Her. Oh, my God. Christine Sinclair has 186 Abby, I think I'm saying that right. Abby Wambach has 184. Oh, damn. Ali Adu, Ali Adui, Dui, Ali Adui has 109, and Cristiano Ronaldo with 99 goals. So the women are just destroying the men in this, then. Yes. Well, you can see how much I know I about think soccer, that's, which is like nothing. I think that's because I think the women play more games internationally than the men do. Do be. not fry me for that. I'm not 100% sure. But that was question number two. He, yeah. Chris is a soccer guy. Chris is a football, a footy guy. So he uh, he was all about that. So this one, if you don't get this one, I don't think we can be friends anymore. Oh. I think this one's kind of a layup. Um, but here we go. Are you ready? Question three. Yeah. What team drafted Kobe Bryant? Oh, Jesus. Um, I think it was Charlotte, wasn't it? You are correct. Charlotte Hornets drafted him in 1996. Do you want a bonus question? Sure. Who was the first overall pick that year? What year? You said 1996? 1996. Oh, my God. Okay, so this is before I was born. So if, if I don't get this, I, I feel like I shouldn't be judged. Um, 1996, hey? Um, I'm going to guess, um, Elton Brand. No, that's a good guess. Uh, I happen to know this one already because I'm a giant fan of the player. The first overall pick of the 1996 NBA draft, Allen Iverson. Oh, wow. 76ers. When was Elton Brand? Because he was number one overall, I'm pretty sure. I have no idea. 
So oh, he was nineteen ninety nine. So two out of three, not bad. I expected one out of three. I thought you'd get the basketball one. I didn't think you'd get the hockey one. I knew we were both screwed on the soccer one. So, Chris, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> so on our I, – I, that's that's great. That's awesome. So we're at a minute – or sorry, we're at an hour and 43. And it's a bit longer than I wanted to go, but enjoyed the conversation. Enjoyed the talk. Bonus episode. If we keep getting trade weeks like we had, we're going to keep this up. I am going to try to get everybody on now that I figured out how to put this system together. If anybody has questions, comments, questions you want read, things you want talked about, things that we missed, you let me know. I'm going to get it out to you. So I just want to say uh, for myself, Jacob, thank you for joining me today. Chris is going to be here on the next episode. And we are going to keep this thing moving. So from me to everyone else, thanks for listening. Make sure to keep in. We are going to do some stuff on the draft. We're going to have our regular Friday show. We've got lots of stuff coming for you. So from your commish, Tom, from your guest today, Cobb, thanks for listening in. And always remember. There's a fight going on out there, gentlemen. Why don't you get in it? Clear eyes, full hearts. Get